Welcome to Know Where to Run with Christopher White. Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot to do today, so we'll just get right into it. The first thing I wanted to talk about was some of the videos that I've been putting up on the websites lately. Um, I'll link them in the show notes section of this episode, which will be July 7th, 2008. And you can always go to, for video-related information, you can go to the Nowhere to Run YouTube site, which is youtube.com slash nowhere to run 1984. I'll link that on the show notes, but it's always got a little um, thing that you can click on the website. So, And you can go there. It's always fun to browse around and look in the comments section. There is always some heated debates going on there. I saw a podcast from Kevin, um, who does a really good podcast. Uh, uh, you can find it on Podomatic. It's uh, called Team, T-E-A-M, Team Kevin dot Podomatic dot com. And it's really funny, but he did a podcast um, the other day talking about just the YouTube comments that are going on and, on the Nowhere to Run channel and stuff. And and he's right; it is it is it is funny a lot of times. And so I'll link that in the show notes section as well. But anyway, so some of the videos that I put up, the last one I did, and I'm really excited about this one, was uh, for Russ Dizdar. It was a uh, the the interview, the first interview I did with Russ Dizdar, and that interview is really good because of the information that was presented was really complete I guess is the word I'm looking for it it really covered a lot of the things that I think are important and I think that really that that interview really helps complete a lot of the things that I'm trying to say that are posted on like the nowhere to run YouTube site a lot of those ideas are kind of loosely they're bound together by a common theme and they're all trying to say a singular thing but but really this interview really brings it together because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what I'm uh, why I'm doing what it is that I'm doing I most often hear that I just I don't understand this these concepts and I have my my paradigm paradigm won't allow me to you know um, to believe the truth and you know various variations of that concept but but the main thing is um, I think that everybody would begin to see what you know. It's kind of like it's it's like that movie, um, They Live. It really is. Once you have the glasses on and you plug in just a few of the key concepts, which those concepts I think could be brought out by this Russ Dizdar movie, then all of it starts to fall into place. Like this whole, you know, we're all sitting in our computers looking for the truth, and we find these pieces of the puzzle that don't logically put together, and so they're they're all these let's call them denominations show up of like really revolving around who's behind it and trying to come up with some kind of theories about the the hive mind that is putting this all together and it's not as simple of just plugging in the idea because you could do that on your own but there's some specifics that help validate that whole concept of the um the logical steps really i don't know if that made any sense so i'll just move on to the other point about that movie which is that I really always felt like I needed to do something with that episode and really do this, put put basically images to the audio and and then disseminate it online through uh, you know YouTube and Google Video, which actually my Google Video account, the one that I put a lot of this stuff on, I no longer can upload videos to, so I had to start a new um, a new Google account. They didn't take the other videos down or anything. It's just I just can't upload anything else to it. So, uh, but anyway, so. Um, so the reason that I wanted to do is to make it searchable so it really was um, very and I think everybody should do this when they're putting up episodes of stuff that they're they're doing whether it's starting podcasts or whether it's um, putting up videos and stuff is to tag it well and to be really to be really um, aware of people searching for things because that's what that's what I want to do is I know there's a lot of people online that when they would type in certain search terms they would only be doing that seeking some the information uh, that that like somebody like Russ 
is providing. So the whole concept was tried to make it more available to those people that are seeking that through their search terms, I guess you could say. So I really hope to broaden his uh, listenership and those people that have come into contact with um, his work and the things that he does. So that was that was a big goal there. Another movie that I put up was uh, The Many Mistakes of Michael Tassarian, which is the first episode that I did about Tassarian, um, which is basically detailing a lot of the things that uh, Michael Tassarian says that are wrong and different things like that. But the main thing I did with that one was to edit it a lot because um, there was a lot of filler and fluff and things that I said that were wrong and different things. So uh, I, I had to cut that one down a lot, which was my goal. That's what I, that's what I started out doing, which was just um, trying to, and, and actually this was kind of brought out by a few things. Um, first of all, um, the Michael Tassari and Rosicrucian video, which was the basically me uh, talking about um, possibilities of Rosicrucian and different things like that. I had made a video of that a long time ago, one of the first videos that I made, if not the first one, and then um, that one had received so many views and stuff, so there was obviously an effort, I mean, a, a, uh, um, a place people were really looking for stuff on Tassari, and so... I figured I'd redo this one and make it palatable because honestly the first one was just I don't know how anybody got anything out of that first one because it was just not um, you know I don't know it was just at a different place then I guess but anyway so edited it down put some images to it kind of threw that one together really so it's not that entertaining it just it's just enough to get the information there and see some of the screenshots of exactly what I was trying to say it's just it's just bare bones it's just there for um, for information but also, I did that one because uh, on the Frank and Chris show, there's a caller, that, uh, Mario, that call, calls in, and he um, is a really good guy, and that's kind of what, how he found the show and everything was by the Michael Tassarian stuff, and he was he's a good example of like who it is that um, you know I am trying to reach with the Michael Tassarian stuff is those people that are you know uh, you know at at that point with Tassarian's work where they are you know about to go into the mystery schools and really go deeper into the whole occult side and um you know don't have any reason yet to question him because he's a very smooth talker so that's why i did that so that's another one and then the third one i just put up was um called uh here i got my sneeze button hold on and the third uh video that i just put up was um about astro theology quote unquote and there's a lot astrotheology is not exactly as what I'm talking about here. These are some of the astronomical aspects of of quote unquote astrotheology things like the three stars in in Orion's belt pointing to the star Sirius on december twenty fifth which are all pointing to the rising sun, which shows if you know anything about this zeitgeist thing is supposedly uh representing the three wise men following the star of the east to the birth of the sun s u n uh and so that really gets a lot of kids being like oh no man you guys got it all wrong but the whole thing is it's not it's not true that and the whole idea of the sun rising and the constellation of the southern cross and a, a lot of things are wrong about the astronomical aspects of astrotheology and so that video is to point out some of that stuff um, interestingly, I'd actually been arguing the wrong point on the the three stars in Orion's belt thing for a while, and I ended up having to take down the movie almost right after I, I put it out and started po- posting it around in forums. I I just caught it, thankfully, uh, because it it I caught it before my uh, detractors did. But I'm sure that they're going to still use the first one when they re- do rebuttals to it. But um, but I got it all fixed, and so it's all good now. But basically. The whole I, the whole concept not just doesn't just happen on December 25th. It happens um, and it barely happens on December 25th, and wouldn't happen wouldn't have happened 2,000 years ago on December 25th. But uh, it it happens literally almost every day from um, you know n- November to December, and even further than that. So anyway, um, I, if you want to know what I'm talking about, you can just watch the movie. That's really Okay, so I guess before we get started, I also wanted to mention and remind everybody about the Frank and Chris Show, which you can go to frankandchrisshow.com. If you have been missing it, there have been some uh, marathon shows been, uh, that have been going on over there with that show. 
and you can download the archives at frankandchrisshow.com or you can subscribe to it on iTunes and of course you can listen live Wednesday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Central or um, 9 uh, p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, that, uh, or I say of course, like you guys knew that I wasn't going to be there this week, but uh, I'm not going to be there this coming uh, Wednesday, but I th- I'm not sure if Frank's going to do um, a guest host show or he is just going to um, nix it, but I don't know. We'll wait for that to see what happens this Wednesday, but um, so yeah, so check that out. Some really interesting stuff. It's kind of like a combination of uh, Frank's uh, old show, Salvation Revelation, and um, and this show because we get to hit a lot of the news and stuff which we don't normally do on this show and comment a lot about it and we definitely get to formulate some theories about some of the things that are happening so it's a good way to kind of keep up with current uh, happenings in the world and so on but also it's because it keeps on going it's it, it's really it's really one of these things that um, I really feel like a lot of learning is happening like a lot of things that are getting discussed and brought up that wouldn't have normally if if we didn't have this interaction and of course again it's really fun for the people in the chat rooms and stuff so that's always fun again that's Wednesdays at 9 and you can go to frankandchrisshow.com and check all that stuff out okay I want to talk a lot about uh, high fructose corn syrup and we'll do that right after the break um, here but oh yeah one more thing I just wanted to encourage everybody about all this movie making and stuff to do 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 it yourself. Um, I, I've mentioned in the past, but I'll mention it again. Um, everybody has Windows Movie Maker on their computer. You can find other programs, of course. Windows Movie Maker is commonly thought of as kind of like a, uh, you know, the, the bottom of the barrel. But it's really, I mean, you can, it's really easy to use. And, you know, for these purposes of what we're trying to do, it's, it's just great. So it might not be that obvious that you have it on your computer. Just do a search for it, or maybe you can search around in your start programs if you're using Windows. Uh, I think that, I'm not sure if Apple has a, um, a companion uh, kind of program, but it probably does. So just um, so just start putting audio wherever you find the audio with uh, pictures or video. I mean, it kind of gets a little complicated if you were trying to uh, take video off the internet and encode it into WMV. And then what you can do with uh, programs like um, VLC player and stuff like that, which does some encoding stuff. But Anyway, if you ever need any help with all that stuff, you can email me at chris at conspiracyclothes.com, and I'll be glad to try to help you if I can, if I know anything about it. Um, but yeah, there's so much stuff that people need to know about that. So so start a YouTube channel and start start just putting concepts out there for people to understand because there is a definite need for it. Um, I don't even know what it is that you guys are have are passionate about or whatever kind of concept that you can think of, but, I, but I'm just... I know that somebody out there um, needs to do that, so start a YouTube channel. It's just like setting up a MySpace page. There's a lot of action going on there. And just start putting some videos out there and tagging them and uh, you know attaching them to different things. So anyway, um, I'm gonna go ahead and start this um, start this show off here. We're gonna talk a lot about uh, high fructose corn syrup, but I'm gonna play this clip real quick of uh, a clip somebody had. Uh, made and sent in of me talking about some kind of rant uh, that I was doing and put it to uh, put some effects and different things to it. It's pretty interesting. So I'll play that and then we'll get into high fructose corn syrup. Rocket Yes, the military is involved. Yes, the government is involved. Yes, Satanists are involved. This is a merging of some seriously dark stuff that is real as it is astral. I am trying to get people to close doors. I'm trying to get them to close the doors to these entities because they are the new world order. They've got a technical way to attach them to people. The mind control is interesting because they are the hive mind that the conspiracy world can't figure out. They seem to be speaking of like the New World Order Illuminati types, I mean, they, they seem to be acting like some kind of hive mind. They are going towards a goal that they've been working on for thousands of years. It's a very, very good plan. They, it, it's, um, it doesn't have to do with money and, and power. I mean, it does, but, but not for the individual. I mean, certain extremely wealthy and powerful men have lived and died only putting together a small piece of this puzzle for the hive. And they didn't see any fruit or of it, and they wouldn't have never seen it before for their children or their grandchildren. They put together the piece nonetheless. It's because these entities are the agents in the movie The Matrix that 
have to discredit the Bible. They have to discredit Jesus because it's the only way to stop them, and they are the system. The New World Order is completely satanic. Revelations Radio Network. Many hosts, one message of salvation. RevelationsRadioNetwork.com. Okay, let's begin this discussion on high fructose corn syrup. Most of you probably know what it is, but if you don't, it's basically the artificial sweetener that's now added to soft drinks in America and Canada and almost all juices unless otherwise specified unless they say something like 100% juice or something like that um, it's added to juices it's added to foods um, just about everything that we eat that used to contain sugar um, now contains high fructose corn syrup and you know on the surface that doesn't necessarily seem weird but there are a lot of considerations that do actually reveal it to be kind of weird. I guess I was tipped off to do the study about this because, um, well actually it was probably because of the recent talk about the Bilderberg meetings and stuff like that. Um, somebody had mentioned that the top people at both Coca-Cola and PepsiCo attend the meetings and have for a long time. And it struck me as odd, you know, because them both playing for the same team, you know, and, you know, the main thing it made me think of is why would that benefit those people? I mean, obviously, it's just it's just a major corporation, but at the same time, it I see it as, as a potential delivery system for a lot of things. Once you start to get hip to all of the things that they're delivering or that they would want to deliver, then you start to get suspicious because, I mean, they could just basically tell them to start adding something. But I, won't, I don't want to get too conspiratorial just yet. So... The um, research then kind of led to what are the known health effects of um, high fructose corn syrup because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would we just stop using sugar? And because the process for making high fructose corn syrup is quite difficult. I'll go into that. Um, let's just go ahead and go into that right now. What exactly, how exactly you get uh, high fructose corn syrup from corn. Okay, first, um, high fructose corn syrup is produced by milling corn to produce cornstarch, and then they process the cornstarch to yield corn syrup, which is almost entirely glucose. Then they add enzymes to it, uh, different types of enzymes, which kind of get into that process here in a second. Um, then they mix that in different kind of quantities to get the desired um, mixture of high fructose corn syrup. This is the enzyme process, process which changes the 100% glucose corn syrup to what they call high fructose corn syrup 90 is as follows. Corn starch is treated with alpha amylase to produce shorter chains of sugars called oligosaccharides. Glucosamase breaks the sugar chains down even further to yield simple sugar glucose. Ixos isomerase, aka glucose in isomerase, converts glucose to a mixture of about 42% fructose and 50 to 52% glucose with some other sugars mixed in. While inexpensive alpha-amylase and glucosamase are added directly to the slurry, slurry and used once, the more costly glucose insomerase is packed into columns and the sugar mixture is then passed over it, allowing it to be used repeatedly until it loses its activity. The 42 percent fructose glucose mixture is then subjected to liquid chromatography step where the fructose is enriched to approximately 90 percent. The 90 percent fructose is then back blended with 42 percent fructose to achieve a 55 percent fructose final product. Most manufacturers use carbon absorption for impurity removal. Numerous filtrations, ion exchange, and evaporation steps are also part of the overall process. I hope I didn't lose anybody there. Um, let me. I want to read this part because I think this is an important part to the the important part to realize about this process. Well, there's two parts, but this is one of them. There are a couple of murky things that consumers should know about HFCS, high fructose corn syrup. According to 
a food technology expert, two of the enzymes used, alpha amylase and glucose isomerase, are genetically modified to make them more stable. Enzymes are actually very large proteins that through genetic modification, specific amino acids in the enzymes are changed or replaced so to get enzymes backbone, so that the enzymes backbone won't break down or unfold. This allows for the industry to get the enzymes to higher temperatures before they become unstable. Okay, so at this point the question is, why are we using high fructose corn syrup economic for economically? Because this process seems to be very expensive, and sugar would require much less processes um, in order to use. So the question would be economically anyway. Why are we using uh, high fructose corn syrup as opposed to sugar? Because it seems like you would just use sugar because it would be much less expensive than this process and technically that's true I mean sugar is a whole lot cheaper than it would be to buy corn and then put it through this process if it wasn't for um, this problem in the United States and Canada because of the system of price supports and sugar quotas imposed since May 1982 importing sugar into the United States and Canada is prohibitively expensive High fructose corn syrup derived from corn is more economical since the American and Canadian prices of sugar are artificially higher than the global price of sugar. And the price of number two corn is artificially low due to both government subsidies and dumping on the market as farmers produce more corn annually. The food industry uh, turned to high fructose corn syrup as a substitute with both Coca-Cola and Pepsi switching to high fructose corn syrup in 1984. Of course, I'd like to ask, what was the catalyst? The, I'd like to uncover the, the letter or the Bilderberg meeting that said what happened in 1984. But it could, but it doesn't really need anything if you look at what the, it basically is just politics. They they drove out the sugar producers from importing into the United States and Canada by tariffs, basically, um, from importing sugar into the United States and made it very expensive. And that could happen by lobbying. And what we'll find later is that the company that stood the most to gain is the one doing the lobbying for these things. And then, because of government subsidies of corn to the same corporations that are producing this, they're basically essentially giving them corn. So think of it like this. They made whoever it is, whoever could control these um, political games, made sugar too expensive artificially and then um, basically gave corn to them to use so of course you would use corn if you're getting the government paying for the corn and sugar is too expensive then it doesn't matter how expensive the process is because um, you're getting free corn so I mean it's not free but it's got a government subsidized so and in the interest of being thorough, I'm going to read a little bit more about that. Uh, the main company, corporation in question here, is called Arthur Daniels Midland. Here is an, an entry from their Wikipedia site. <laughs> Arthur Daniels Midland's receipt of federal agricultural subsidies have come under criticism. According to the Cato Institute and a, a libertarian think tank, ADM has cost the American economy billions of dollars since 1980, and it has indirectly cost Americans tens of billions of dollars in higher prices and higher taxes over the same period. At least 43% of ADM's annual profits come from products heavily subsidized or protected by the American government. Moreover, every $1 of profits earned by a Arthur Daniels Midland's corn sweetener operation costs consumers $10, and every $1 of profits earned by its ethanol operation costs taxpayers $30. In 1994, the New York Times wrote, The Clinton administration's policy on emission-reducing renewable fuels, in essence, ethanol, made from corn, is little more than a politically-inspired gift to farmers and corn processors, especially the Arthur Daniels Midland Company. ADM's lobbying and campaign contributions have encouraged the continuation of the United States Federal Sugar Program of trade barriers and price supports by Congress, costing U.S. consumers roughly $3 billion a year. ADM also lobbied to create and perpetuate federal ethanol subsidies. Some commentators have concluded that the ADM experience demonstrates the need for campaign finance reform. Uh, yeah, I'll say. So what's the big deal? What is 
wrong with high fructose corn syrup? Well, there's kind of two versions to that story. Well, two negative versions to that story. Um, there is kind of like the general public knows it's bad because of this reason, and then there is a far more dangerous reason that is just under the surface. And then I guess technically there's a third one, the third one being the fact that it's genetically modified. And I would probably put that at the top of the list if, it, if we had any medical data to really prove it but since there's so very few studies being done on it because the official line is that there's nothing wrong with it even though they've never done a long-term study and you know the fact that they won't tell us even what is and what isn't genetically modified food they're not going to be doing any kind of massive study and telling us about it anytime soon so we'll, we'll deal with these other two levels of what's wrong with it the first one I'll leave to this um, uh, woman who seems to know what she's talking about and she will tell us about some of the major problems with it. Hi, I'm Radia Gleese. I'm a certified clinical nutritionist and I work at Austin Integrative Medicine here in Austin, Texas. You know, this morning I was getting dressed and I had the TV on in the other room and I was listening. I can't remember exactly what program. It might have been The View. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this. But I think it was Whoopi. She made a comment. She said, you know, I think it was her. Somebody, anyway, they said you know, if you want to get America healthier, first of all, take the high fructose corn syrup out of their diet. And immediately my ears perked up and I went, wow, that's very astute. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about high fructose corn syrup and what, you know, what's going on in this country because uh, there's definitely, we're seeing a shift in our health in relationship to high fructose corn syrup. Remember, for those of you who, you know, grew up back in the 70s, um, you know, junk food was just being sort of introduced, you know, more and more soft drinks, more and more uh, fast food restaurants started opening up. And um, for that decade, during the 60s and 70s, there wasn't really, even though we were consuming more junk food, <clears throat> there wasn't really a, um, a large progression of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Um, remember in the old days when the Coca-Cola used to be like six ounces and then it turned from six ounces to eight ounces and then eight ounces to ten ounces and now it's at twelve ounces and now it's in big gulps and stuff? Well, as we started to, um, as the junk food industry started to progress, uh, we started to notice a real shift in obesity, diabetes, and the, the overall general health of the time happening about in the 1980s. And what we're seeing, the correlation there that was happening was the introduction of high fructose corn syrup in just about everything. Now if you look at those soft drinks and you look at any products that are you know packaged or processed, you're going to see a replacement from regular table sugar to high fructose corn syrup. So how did this happen and what is it doing to us? Well, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information on the internet about high fructose corn syrup. Some of it's controversial. Some say, oh, well, it doesn't affect the body any differently than sugar. Others say, be careful of the dangers because it does affect the body. Um, I've read a lot of studies, both um, pro and con for it, and we do see that it does affect the body differently than sugar. So, it's really important to see why or how this came into the marketplace and why it's continuing. First of all, simple truth is it's cheaper. Corn is cheaper and high fructose corn syrup is cheaper to make. Now understand that it's different than corn. Um, corn, the sugar from corn, is a fructose base, but this is called a high fructose corn syrup which is different than regular fructose corn syrup. Basically the way they make it is they extract the fructose from it or actually the glucose from it and then add a chemical to it to bring it back into fructose. So it's, it's not a natural food, it's actually a synthetic food and basically it does not affect the body the same as say a, the fruit or vegetable fructose that we see in natural corn or in natural fruits and vegetables. So 
Um, it does create a lot of problems. I will go into that later on. And if you stay posted in the next um, few sequences I'm going to do, a lot about carbohydrates in general. We're going to talk about how the body responds to it and why this particular hoopla about corn syrup and about carbs in general is, is really... Um, food for thought, if you will, of why this country has uh, got a veritable epidemic in not only obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, but we're also seeing um, what we referred to, diabetes 2, we used to refer to as adult onset diabetes. We're now seeing um, children getting adult onset diabetes. And this is really, a, a, there's a great correlation between the kinds of foods and the kinds of junk food that they're eating today versus what we ate 30 years ago. Now, an interesting political aside that's really important for you to know, in my opinion, is that in 2002, this was in, in June of 2002, the present Bush administration signed a $190 billion Farm Subsidy Act. And what this means, guys, is that our government is paying farmers to produce more corn. Now, right now, we have a surplus of corn. We have more corn than we know what to do with. So why are we paying farmers to produce more? Well, it's kind of simple economics. It costs approximately um, $2 a bushel for corn. However, it costs the farmer about $3 a bushel to harvest, to grow and harvest. So what the farm subsidy bill is doing is it's taking our tax dollars, and every year we're giving about $14 billion uh, for the next 10 years to farmers to grow more farms, uh, to grow more uh, corn. So what we're doing is picking up the slack of that extra dollar. Now, you would think at first glance, you'd think, well, okay, this is helping the farmer, but why aren't we producing um, new kinds of incentives to get the farmer to be growing less corn instead of more where we have a surplus? Well, it's pretty obvious because it brings the price of corn down. For who? Now, we're not talking sweet corn. We're talking about corn that is made um, into high fructose corn syrup. Now, I do want to say an aside here that this corn is generally also genetically modified corn. So that's a whole other story, which I'm going to talk about at another time. Um, but as far as your health, that's a big concern, too. But why do we want to reduce the price of corn? Is, are we seeing this in the market? No. But who's seeing it in the market? Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, Mars, all of the big junk food corporations that are basically um, getting off of our tax dollar subsidies to buy cheap um, corn to make their high fructose corn syrup. So you may say, well, you know, um, I'm not paying for that. I'm not buying that junk or I'm not eating that junk food, but guess what? Your tax dollars are still paying for that for everybody else. And while the public consumes that stuff, we are seeing a veritable epidemic of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, etc. So even if you say, well, I'm not eating that kind of stuff, you're paying for it down the line. You're paying for it in your tax dollars. You're paying for it in health care in general. And, uh, and so everybody's paying uh, for Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola and the big junk food industries. So it's a pretty scary thing, and it's good for us to know. If you want to know more about this, you can go to my website, which is www.advancedhealthinstitute.com. Go to the articles section and look up the article, Corn Fed America, the politics of nutrition in the United States. Okay, well, I'll move on to some of the other health effects, and I'll read from an article in which I'll link in the show notes section. But one thing I wanted to mention that I thought that she hit in that presentation was that um, another one in the kind of the school of thought that high fructose corn syrup is just bad because it's really unhealthy and it's making us all fat. Um, that kind of school of thought has this main thing going for it, and that is basically that. High fructose corn syrup doesn't shut down the desire to 
um, to eat or drink anything sugary. Like a sugar itself actually has um, something that'll shut off that mineral desire where you will stop eating or drinking it. Where high fructose corn syrup doesn't, so you're just eating and drinking more and more and more. So that's a big, um, a big part of that theory that uh, the health effects are basically centered around it making us obese and un and generally unhealthy. Um, now I'll read from this article. It says, in the past, fructose was considered beneficial to diabetics because it is absorbed only 40% as quickly as glucose and causes only a modest rise in blood sugar. However, research on other hormonal factors, such as fructose, actually promotes disease more readily than glucose. Glucose is metabolized in every cell in the body, but all fructose must be metabolized in the liver. The livers of test animals fed large amounts of fructose, developed fatty deposits, and cirrhosis, similar to problems that develop in livers of alcoholics. Pure fructose contains no enzymes, vitamins, or minerals, and robs the body of its micronutrient treasures in order to assimilate itself in the physiological use, while naturally occurring sugars, as well as sucrose, contain fructose bound to other sugars. High fructose corn syrup contains a good deal of free or unbound fructose. Research indicates that this free fructose interferes with the heart's use of key minerals like magnesium, copper, and chromium. Among other consequences, high fructose corn syrup has been implicated in elevated blood cholesterol levels and the creation of blood clots. It has been found to inhibit the action of white blood cells so that they are unable to defend the body against harmful foreign invaders. Studies on Maillard reaction indicate that fructose may contribute to diabetic complications more readily than glucose. Maillard reactions is a browning reaction that occurs when compounds are exposed to various sugars. Fructose browns food seven times faster than glucose, resulting in a decrease in protein quality and toxicity of proteins in the body. This is due to the loss of amino acid residues and decreased protein digestibility. Maillard products can inhibit the uptake of and metabolism of free amino acids and other nutrients, such as zinc, and some advanced Maillard products have a multigenic or carcinogenic property. The Maillard reaction, reactions between proteins and fructose, glucose, and other sugars may play a role in aging and in some clinical complications of diabetes. Moving on to some other health effects, Nancy Appleton PhD points out some of the following. She points out that fructose causes a significant increase in the concentration of uric acid after the ingestion, ingestion of glucose, no significant change occurs. An increase in uric acid can be an indicator of heart disease. Uh, fructose is absorbed primarily in the jejunum before the metabolism in the liver. Fructose is converted to fatty acids by the liver at a greater rate than is glucose. When consumed in excess of dietary glucose, the liver cannot convert all of the excess fructose into the system and it may be malabsorbed. The portion that escapes conversion may be thrown out in the urine. Diarrhea can cause can be a consequence. A study of 25 patients with functional bowel disease showed that pronounced gastrointestinal distress may be provoked by malabsorption of small amounts of fructose. Fructose interacts with oral contraceptives and elevates insulin levels in women on the pill. In studies with rats, fructose consistently produces higher kidney calcium concentrates than glucose. Fructose generally indicates greater urinary concentrations of phosphorus and magnesium and lowered urinary pH compared with glucose. In humans, fructose feeding leads to mineral losses, especially higher fecal excretions of iron and magnesium. Then did subjects fed sucrose, iron, magnesium, calcium, and zinc balances tend to be more negative during the fructose feeding period as compared to balances during the sucrose feeding period. There is a significant evidence there is significant evidence that high sucrose diets may alter intercellular metabolism, which in turn facilitates accelerated aging through oxidative damage. Scientists found that rats given fructose had more undesirable cross-linking changes in the collagen of their skin than in other groups. These changes are also thought to be markers for aging. The scientists say that it is the fructose molecule in the sucrose, not the glucose, that plays the larger part. Because it is metabolized by the liver, fructose does not
cause the pancreas to release insulin the way that it normally does. Fructose converts to fat more than any other sugar. This may be one of the reasons Americans tenu continue to get fatter. Fructose raises serum triglycerides significantly, and as a left-handed sugar, fructose digestion is very low. For complete internal conversion of fructose into glucose and acetates, it must rob ATP energy stores from the liver. Not only does fructose have more damaging effects in the presence of copper deficiency, fructose also inhibits copper metabolism. Another example of the sweetener's double whammy effect, a deficiency in copper leads to bone fragility, anemia, defects of the connective tissue, arteries and bone infertility, heart arrhythmia, high cholesterol levels, heart attacks, and the inability to control blood sugar levels. Okay, this is what happens if you have um, high fructose intake and um, a, a copper deficiency. Or is it copper? I think it's copper deficiency, yeah. Um, although these studies were not designed to test the effects of fructose on weight gain, the observation of increased body weight associated with fructose ingestion is of interest. One explanation for this observation could be that fructose ingestion does not increase the production of two, of two hormones, insulin and leptin, that have key roles in long-term regulation of food intake and energy expenditure. And I think that's pretty much all I have on all that stuff. I, I didn't do as much research as I probably could have. But I guess in conclusion, you know, I, I know if you're like me, you're probably semi or was still trying to fight um, soft drink addiction. And um, I, I've been doing pretty good about it. But this will definitely really help me put, put me over the edge. And really, I think that it's there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, soft drinks in general, like the way they, they used to be. Really, I mean, you you can go to the the Mexican grocer and you can usually find Coke or Pepsi products that are using real sugar because, like I said, it's not there's no artificial price difference all in Mexican um, markets. But at the same time, some of them are um, are using high fructose corn syrup. Some of them aren't. Like I will notice, like real Mexican Coke usually uses sugar. There's also other kinds of things like Mexican sodas like Yaritos and whatever. But the real thing is like you're probably getting a massive daily dose in it from something you're not even expecting like your bread or something like that. Really it's just slowly getting to a point where you absolutely have to eat organic just just, just to be semi safe. So yeah, really check, start reading labels for that. Just add that to the many things that you got to watch out for while le reading labels. And just as a side note, you know, if you're thinking that diet drinks are the way to go, really you need to look into uh, aspartame. That's uh, It's far, far, far worse than high fructose corn syrup in um, many ways. I mean, you can get, a pr it's, it's like comparing uh, crack to... Um, I don't know, something else pretty bad. But uh, this is a good analogy, don't you think? But okay, let's move on and we'll go into another topic. The Jew could not mean that kind of God. God, in their language, meant the being outside the world who made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was, quite simply, the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. One part of the claim tends to slip past us unnoticed because we have heard it so often that we no longer see what it amounts to. I mean the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toe and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man, himself unrobbed and untrodden on, who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest description we should give of his conduct. And yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven, and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. Now this makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. 
In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. Yet, and this is the strange, significant thing, even his enemies, when they read the Gospels, do not usually get the impression of silliness and conceit, still less do unprejudiced readers. Christ says that he is humble and meek, and we believe him, not noticing that if he were merely a man, humility and meekness are the very last characteristics we could attribute to some of his sayings. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Okay, I want to talk just a little bit about prayer. Um, I often find that when people contact me through whatever way and they have an issue that they're asking me to help with or through my advice on or something it usually almost always my advice is to start a prayer regiment no matter where they are or in their life or what they're doing you know I rarely tell people they need to just you know stop doing what it is that they're doing it's probably something I should do I guess but really I really think that on every level those that are unsaved and those that are those that are in one place or another the answer is always to start praying and to just try to commit to a time when you pray like I think that that's the whole key to everything that's the key to Christians being more um, you know dedicated I think it's the key to non-Christians becoming uh, more inclined to be Christians it's the key to everybody doing everything I think uh, I think one of the reasons is is that we by we humans need a good deal of things and I think that prayer is that opportunity for us to ask of them and in, in doing so it's God's opportunity to show us how much that he loves us and cares about us because we uh, have all these problems and issues in our life that need attention that we are unable to take care of and he wants to build our faith through um, through providing for us in those ways and and also I think that it has another quality of just having a time in that presence kind of slowly changes a person I think that it, I've often described it as kind of downloading his spirit into your life. And I think that's why it has such an effect on non-Christians, because it just starts to change them, you know, from the inside out, as opposed to this concept of trying to change the outside first and all that stuff. So, But anyway, in the process, I noticed that I wasn't really doing what it is that I was asking other people to do. And I mean, I was praying pretty regularly but really not making the most out of it which I think is really what we should do and I'll play this clip from Russ it'll probably be a pretty long one I think it'll describe exactly what it is that I'm talking about and also this this really was the thing that really inspired me the first time to do it and which really changed my life when I was doing it and now that I'm um, starting it again I just really remembered how effective we can be um, with this uh, gift that we're given of prayer. So I'll just uh, play this clip and I think the first question I asked him was how he kind of counter-attacked the covens and stuff with prayer. He had a, a prayer mapping method and then later on I'll play the clip where he talks about how he personally um, deals with prayer and everything. So here you go. We, you know, back when in dealing specifically this person out of Pennsylvania, we dealt with a hundred folks out of Pennsylvania um, that are chosen ones or, you know, really highly trained satanic, you know, warrior type monks. Um, what I began to see this back in the late 80s and early 90s, and I began to just look at, you know, 
you know, because we understood in deliverance and we were already doing stuff and we understood prayer and level of spiritual warfare. But, you know, as I dealt with it, the Lord brought to my mind one time a specific verse and I went and looked up the original Greek and it was desis. Uh, it means there's a difference between just general praying and specific, I mean, like you write it down type praying. You're writing exactly, you know, what you want. So we begin to apply that to... Um, as we pray for souls, pray for revival, pray for spiritual awakening, pray for healing, pray for whatever, we include as a normal part of all of our praying, praying against, praying for the exposure of. Um, and any piece of information, it's kind of like what I did uh, to kind of, I don't want to say test it, but you know, I just began to follow what I felt led. I began to you know, take any bit of information I got from victims coming out of covens, of individuals, places, whatever, and then put it on paper, paper, you know, just write it out, and and begin to use that page as like a little journal, and I would, you know, pray through that, and I would thunder the prayers and targeting for exposure, whatever, you know, I felt, you know, whether it was they were doing a ritual on a certain night, or whether there was a person, they kept calling them by name, and we never did find them. So we began to put their names, addresses, places, all the information, praying for God to give confirmation, or God to expose, or God to bring about providential you know, face-to-face -face meetings with some of these people or their coven sites, um, and then target the ritual times and target the high priests and target the types of rituals. Now, when we begin to do this, this individual comes back from Pennsylvania. They popped out of the, the car. This officer brought him down. And they got out of the car, and first they begin to yell at me immediately, saying, you know, what are you doing? You're, you're blankety-blank, you know, spiritual warfare stuff. And inwardly, I knew. I just knew immediately. I just smiled. I said, wow, what do you mean? And I wouldn't tell him what we were doing, but I just said, why, what do you mean? He says, well, we haven't hardly been able to get a spirit to show up for three weeks. Now, what we've learned in the last 12, 13, 14 years with this kind of praying, and we have like 13, 14 pages uh, that we will go through of information. Uh, on one of my pages, I might have uh, over 100 names of satanic ritual abuse victims, along with uh, coven leaders and military, you know, all kinds of stuff. So the prayers are, Along the way, as we continue to pray, that God will give us more information, more confirmation, new victims come forward, we find a site, uh, someone comes in and tells us, uh, we engage that and we begin to see um, that when, especially when we do it as a team on a weekly basis, it's like after we do that prayer thing on Monday night, before the end of the week, we may end up with another case, more information, a phone call in, uh, a ritual site that's been you know, you know, told to us. Uh, confiscated material that was brought back from a coven, given to us, uh, and it just—it is just literally, un, uh, you know, dislodged, and it really kind of freaks them out because nobody's really gone after them. And the issue is this: because they have been operating in an uncontested secrecy, and as long as they can operate in secrecy, they can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, once that's hit, 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 and targeted, and God gives more insight and more insight and more information, you, you know, then it just—it's—it's it's like instead of bombing the countryside, now you're literally bombing the the military factory. What kind of uh, general prayer tips would you suggest for those listening? What kind of uh, how do you pray? What what is what's your system? Sure. Well, um, I, in my personal life, I use the Lord's prayer as a as a, as a format. Uh, you know, our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. I, I worship first. I just I spend time to worship, interact with the Lord, and just you know just fellowship with the Lord, and just that's where it's just you know um, it's just relationship and worship. And uh, from there, I move into intercession, uh, praying for His kingdom, you know, to be you know come about, His will to be done. His, and, and and so it's really praying the advancement. Uh, I don't decide what His will is, but we we do implement the will of God. Uh, and we do advance the kingdom that way. So we pray intercession-wise, praying for lost souls, praying for the church, praying for leaders, praying for the advancement of things, praying for revivals, praying for you know Christian events, things like that. Um, uh, we will go to praying for daily you know necessities, daily bread, our own own issues. Uh, we'll pray to make sure that if we have any sin issues, the Lord you know convict us and show us and, and and repent of anything, or you know, or we'll pray you know lead us not into temptation, you know. I'll be kind of get like a heads up about what's coming, but then when I come to the part where it says delivers from the evil one, again that's again I don't quote the verses. I just simply use it as a pattern. Then I come to warfare. I pray sometimes what's the enemy doing? Um, just like Jesus knew that Satan had come into the room 
The disciples were all eating food, and all of a sudden Jesus looked at them and said, Simon, Simon. And in the Greek, it's plural. He said, Satan has asked to sift all of you guys as wheat. But I prayed for all of you guys that your faith would fail. So um, Jesus knew who entered the room. Jesus knew who asked to destroy them. And uh, they didn't have a clue. So spending time in prayer, um, listening to the Spirit of God, which takes time to yield to his presence, to learn, to listen to the voice of God, uh, to pray, you know, because the, the work of the Spirit is inseparable from the work of the Word of God. Uh, it's going to be a work that works together. Um, so then we then then that's that's pretty much general for me. But when I come to the warfare side, that's when I might you know open the shatter prayer notebook and and uh, or have specific individuals that I'm dealing with during this week, and I'll begin to go over things that might be even five six years old, but now something new has come up. And uh, so we're constantly targeting the areas, and we have a page. For example, the top of the page says "Pray for Exposure." Then we have other stuff typed on it, and then there's certain scriptures, and then we already have information down, and we keep adding to that as as God gives us things, and so that's just that general sense of exposure in the area. Then specifically concerning covens and and victims and people and individuals, and in that we target. Um, secret societies that, we, that we're that we engaged with, which leads us sometimes to go and investigate and do research and, 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 and to kind of do, we don't usually say this publicly, but we kind of uh, counter infiltration. Uh, the spies of, of Israel that went into the land and came back, you know, or went into Jericho. Um, but we do it for the sake of how we're going to pray. We do it redemptively. Who needs to be led to Christ? Um, but we also do it in the sense of what needs to be stopped. If there's a ritual going on or someone going to be hurt, um, what needs to what needs to stop? And uh, then there's like I say, a number of other pages involved. We well, one page just says defeat and destruction of demonic powers. We'll be praying through, asking the Lord for any discernment of any rituals and powers and things and stuff that's been done against us or anybody else or anything in the area. And if we get discernment on it, then we we respond back in prayer. Um, we we when we when we got the sermon on a, a coven in the Kent area, we began to pray and go up there and spend hours in the middle of the night tracking down rituals, you know, times and, and dates. And um, it took quite a while, but we eventually, uh, in a total miraculous providential way, uh, walked into a room where there was a person there that was a victim of satanic ritual abuse. Their arms were all cut up, and we went immediately went into talking to personalities with them, and the demonic stuff began to surface. Uh, so there's a Nazi-oriented, a long-term coven's been there 60 years. Uh, now we've come up with two other victims that area. Now we have a friend that I ate dinner with last uh, week. He works for the CIA, that understands our work. Uh, he's up there in Ravenna. He's at a hospital, meets a girl named Carrie. Um, uh, bottom line is, uh, the bottom story is, uh, he starts talking to her about everything else calls me and says, Russ, we've got one for you. I've got one for you. You know, that she's married to a, a satanic high priest and all this information he's giving me on Friday. Uh, I'm going to connect you with her. So he goes back to the hospital to get her phone number and to give her our phone number. And as he goes into the hospital, uh, she, she had walked out that morning and quit after being there 14 years. So now the process is finding her. So it just, it, it's just ongoing. There's just so many different cases, so many activities around us. It does take, you've you got to spend time in prayer. You've got to spend time. The normal praying in biblical times, I think, is, is, is both uh, offensively in a sense of uh, extending the kingdom, but also praying against things. Nothing wrong with praying and using the weapon of prayer in the biblical sense against evil. Uh, and and that's, that's where we've seen... Uh, by the authority of Christ and by his work, that's why we've seen so much activity. We believe we've been able to peer through, break through the satanic secrecy, uh, which then unveils what's going on. And without that, it, you know, it, 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 it just continues, but cloaked. So, interestingly, I thought it was this whole idea of this word, desis, which is Greek for prayer for the most part, but... Um, this connotation to writing it down and this prayer mapping, I find it to be extremely helpful in, at the very least, organizing um, the time spent in prayer. What I've been doing this last time around is something, um, t having like a few sheets of paper, one 
in in context of the Lord's Prayer, one of the and again breaking that down, if the first part is "Hallowed be Your Name," which is just kind of a praise and thanking God for the various things that um, He is and that He has done, and the and the many prayers He He has answered, and all the gifts and things that He's given, all that kind of stuff, and that could w well last a long time. But then there, even the next part, as Russ highlighted, which was the um, the kingdom coming and the will be done and that kind of thing, really having the connotations not just of his physical kingdom um, and praying for that to happen, but also to advance his kingdom. And many of the things that you could have on that particular sheet for that area would be things that need to be prayed for to advance that kingdom, like um, to raise different people up in the ministry, to pray for different kinds of ministries, to pray for things happening in your church, pray for your pastor, pray for yourself, pray for the things, uh, uh, his will being done in your life. It's also a good time to write down and to kind of put in the ideas of um, giving, you know, your will over to him, to hit, for his will to be done in your life and the things that you have. For instance, your business or your uh, relationships, those kind of things. So that kind of all ties into the will being done part. Um, and there are a lot of things that could be wrote down in there. And they're good, you know, it's just good to have around to add things to it as you go. But it's somehow the act of like just having the paper there is very helpful in organizing the thoughts. And also it just seems like something else is happening. I don't know. Um, but then moving down the line, um, you know, uh, see your will be done on earth as it is heaven give me this day my daily bread and that page you know is just all the different things that you need um, in your life you know I mean pray for all kinds of things who you know from the very mundane to the very um, broad like something like faith and humility and things like that but also something like you know for your car and you know the very minute and mundane things so that list can go on and on and be, be some parts can be ever-changing, some cart parts could be there from now until, um, you know, you stop uh, stop um, living here. But then also I guess there should be a, another page, um, and again, you can organize this any way that you think of. Um, this is just an example of the way I did, and loosely, loosely based off what um, Russ was saying there. But then also like just a bunch of names. I have a bunch of names of people and that I like a prayer list, you know, and really going over them. But also in the context that Russ was using it there, it seemed to be extremely effective in what he was doing, which was specifically seeking to affect change in the intervening and to pray against certain spiritual and dark powers and to really focus it in that way. I think maybe that there could be a whole other sheet of, or as he needs in his ministry, a series of sheets about the various levels of that intervening and praying against dark powers, praying against people, covens, and not necessarily um, people themselves, but, but spiritual powers. As I've mentioned before, praying, praying against the demonic influence in somebody's life is the one thing you can be really sure that you're praying in accordance with God's will in, you know, um, if you know somebody that annoys you, that um, is a, you know, somebody that gets on your nerves or something, you can usually pray against anything that they may have, you know, going on in their life, causing that, and it's one of the ways to really, in my opinion, begin to see a true effect in it, but uh, how much better it would be if it was focused and clearly understood, and I think maybe, you know, this could all be working because it really helps focus in our own minds that um, when it would happen it would be uh, the glory would be to God it would definitely be in our heads when it comes about that it was because of of God where I think if it, it kind of just helps drive the point home I think that uh, I don't know there's probably uh, as C.S. Lewis or the clip I played earlier has mentioned later in that uh, clip of mere Christianity that you know there's probably a lot of mechanics going on with just a simple child saying a simple child's prayer there's probably like as much detail as 
there is atoms, you know, in a table. You're not near, merely looking at a table. There's all kinds of atoms in the table and light hitting it and refracting in your eyeballs and everything else like that. There's a lot of things going on there. And I think maybe that could be, it would be doing it a disservice to really speculate too much about how it's working or why. But uh, it does, is all that we really need to know. So I guess that's it. You can email me at chris at conspiracyclosed.com or you can check uh, out the show on the Revelations Radio Network or on Revere Radio Network. On iTunes, Podomatic, you can go to the website at conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run. And you can check out the new live show, frankandchrisshow.com. Go to frankandchrisshow.com. That airs live on talkshoe.com. There's just a lot of stuff to talk about in that regard. So, um, And, of course, go to the YouTube page, youtube.com slash nowhere to run 1984. And it's uh, a lot to remember. So uh, thanks for taking the time. I'll talk to you guys later.